Good morning. How are we doing? Mike's not here. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua 24, uh, verses 14 through 28, and let's pray. Join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I pray now that you would speak through me. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would show us your majesty in this text. Change our hearts. Help us to choose you. Uh, and know that uh, we can only do that because you have first chosen us. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, Joshua said, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people and there at Shechem, He drew up for them decrees and laws, and Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. The word of the Lord. Strong men always proclaim a strong message. They do not read the polls and check surveys before they give their opinions. In fact, they do not even have opinions. They have convictions. They bleed convictions. They are strong men anchored in the strong word of God, and as such, they bring a message with gravitas and punch. When they stand to speak, they actually have something to say, and they say it whether anyone listens or not. When they sit to write, they do not skirt the issues, they tackle them. When they address the times in which they live, they do not tickle ears, they box them. They do not have one message for one group and a different message for a different group. Wherever they, wherever they go and whomever they address, they have one message, God's message. This is what makes them strong men. They speak God's word or they do not speak at all. What I've just read is, uh, was written by Pastor and author Stephen Lawson in his book, Foundations of Grace. It's the first paragraph in a chapter entitled Strong Men with a Strong Message in which Lawson talks about men of the Bible like Joshua. 
And the children here at UPC all week have been learning about Joshua at Vacation Bible School. And if there's one thing they know now, it is that Joshua definitely was a strong man with a strong message. But because his, both his message and his strength both came directly from God. And today we're looking at the last message that Joshua gave to God's chosen nation, the people of Israel. And in verse 14, you'll notice he says, Now fear the Lord. At the churches I attended, the pastors generally dismissed the congregation after the service by saying, Go in peace, serve the Lord. I'm sure you've heard this. And I got to admit, I wasn't really ever sure what that meant, serve the Lord. I suppose I just assumed go and do what the Bible tells you to do. But serving the Lord is a lot more than that. And the beauty of this passage is it gives depth and understanding to the words serve the Lord. So if you've ever wondered what it means to serve the Lord, God's word has an answer for you today. And what we're going to find is that in order to serve the Lord faithfully, we must make a habit of choosing to trust God more, trust ourselves less, and take advantage of the uh, gift of community. In order to serve the Lord faithfully, we must make a habit of choosing to trust God more, to trust ourselves less, and to take advantage of the gift of community. So the first thing I want to point out is that in order to serve the Lord faithfully, our self-direction has to go. In order to serve the Lord faithfully, our self-direction has to go. If you look at verse 14 and 15, it tells us a lot about the human condition, the sinful human condition. One of the things that jumped out at me as I read this passage a few times is the fact that Joshua, at this point, had to instruct them to throw away the gods of their forefathers. Now, if we didn't read verses 1 through 13, but basically it's a summary of all the amazing things that God has done for the Israelites. Okay, And we see another, even shorter version here in the passage that we are looking at. And what we're seeing is that God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He had performed these great signs before their eyes. He had protected them on their entire journey through these nations. Okay, so we're talking about divine deliverance, magnificent manifestations of his might, and powerful protection. And to top it off, they were standing in Shechem, which happened to be the exact place where God had made the promise to Abraham to deliver his people that land. And Joshua has to say, throw away the gods of your forefathers. I'm thinking, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, how is that possible? How is it possible that they could see all these amazing things that God could show his grace and his power so vividly to them? And then Joshua has to say, by the way, throw away the gods of your forefathers. And I started to think, you know, if I had seen God do all those crazy, cool things, I, I, I would not be trusting in anything other than God. No way. But then my con- conscience tapped me on the shoulder. I was like, are you sure about that, Matt? What are you talking about, conscience? So I started thinking about my passport. Uh, many of you know that I recently went to Ghana. and um, But some of you, most of you probably don't know that God actually performed what I think is a real live miracle uh, for me right before we left. You see, I'm not what you would call a... Uh, world traveler. So um, when I, it came time to apply for my visa, I didn't know that you had to send your passport to the embassy to get the visa. So I just sent an application. And uh, then we were at the final planning session just days before we're supposed to leave. And Bart, the vice president of the organization I went with, he said, do you have your passport and your visa? And I said, well, I have my passport, but my visa hasn't come yet. 
And uh, he gives me one of those looks that said, okay, there's a big problem here because uh, your passport goes in your visa. So we were in big trouble. We were going to have to resend uh, the application uh, with the, the, the passport in it this time. This happened to be Sunday, May 25th. Do we remember what Monday, May 26th was? Memorial Day. No mail. Okay, so now I'm having to send this on Tuesday, needing it on Friday to get on a plane. Okay, so uh, I called the embassy and I was like, okay, I know you do rush processing, right? So this is no problem because I'll send it to you overnight and you'll get it on Wednesday and you'll process it on Wednesday, Thursday, overnight it back to me on Friday. And the guy says, no, it takes 48 hours. I said, oh, no, no, I need rush processing. And he said, oh, no, no, that is rush processing. (laughs) So I said, well, I'm sending it anyway. And he said, well, good luck to you. And um, so to make a long story short, I, I, I go to the, uh, the uh, FedEx or UPS or whoever I use, I don't remember, and I sent it overnight and I started praying. And to make a long story short, the rest of Tuesday, all of Wednesday, every second of Thursday, longest days of my life. I mean, I had raised all the support. People had supported me so generously. Most of you, many of you, I was like, how can I not go? And then God did it. Um, I kept calling the embassy, seeing if they would do it, and they kept saying, okay, we know you want it in a hurry. We'll, we'll do what we can. Shut up. <laughs> and he did it. It came. Friday morning at 10.30, I get a knock on the door, and I was like, Lord, be UPS. And it was. And here's my passport with my visa, and I get to go. It was seriously a miracle because something that should have taken a lot longer didn't because God acted big time. And then here's the thing. So I get on the plane and I go, and we're in Ghana, and everything is fantastic. We had a great trip there. Everything is wonderful. And I start getting hyper-protective hyper of my passport. Okay, I was like, if I lose my passport, I'm going to die. <laughs> and so I, I had it in this little pouch under my shirt, and the pouch had a zipper, then Velcro. Okay, and, and, and I'm, it's, it's, I wore it on my back, okay, and as I'm meeting people, I'm shaking their hands and grabbing my back all the time, just checking to see if it's there. And people in Africa must think, these American dudes are weird, man. What is this all about? Hi, how are you? Welcome, welcome to Africa. I kept grabbing for that thing as if I really would have died without it, as if God had had done all these amazing things to get me to Ghana to leave me there without my passport. You could say that I, I started serving another God. I started serving the God of possession. Because if I, wasn't, if I didn't feel that I was in possession of my passport, I wasn't comfortable and I wasn't happy. And it's really kind of sad. And the truth is that we are all so much more affected by our sinful nature then we realize so much so that even when God does amazing things to show us that he loves us and is caring for us, we tend to still look for thing, look, look to things that are not God in order to meet our needs for comfort, for security, for fulfillment. And when we do that, we're really putting ourselves in prison. We're choosing to put ourselves in a prison. I was so afraid of losing my passport that I was enslaved to the feeling of it underneath my shirt. So what I want you to know is that no matter how long you've been following the Lord, no matter how many amazing things you've seen God do in your lives, we need to remember 
that we still all have idols. We are still all trusting in things that are not God. And we need to throw them away, as Joshua says. If you have things in your life that are not God, yet you'd feel like you'd be absolutely lost without them, there's an idolatrous relationship going on there. And God wants to set you free from that. And once you've recognized what those things are, then you can do what Joshua tells us to do. You can throw them away and you can choose to serve God and God alone who really can provide what we need. And here's the thing. See, while my passport prison that I had built uh, didn't really destroy my life or even my trip that much, there are so many things that really will rip us apart and destroy our lives if we let them, if, we do, if God doesn't rescue us. See, this is why Joshua wanted them to choose who they wanted to serve. By no means did Joshua want them to say, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll serve the gods of the Amorites. That's not what he was looking for. Instead, he wanted to show them how absurd it would be if they actually did make a choice to serve a God that wasn't a God, a God that didn't exist. You see, the gods that he's referring to here are the gods that the, the, the pagan gods that the polytheists uh, the people in Mesopotamia where Abraham was called out of, that's what they were worshiping there. These types of gods where they have a God for everything. If you need health, you have to find the health God. And if you need uh, fertility, you have to find the fertility God. Basically, what's happening here is Joshua is telling them not to live their lives that way. He's saying, choose to serve the God who really can provide what you need. But he's, then he's saying, if you don't want to choose God, then choose One of these other ways, but what you're really doing is you're choosing to determine your path in life. You're choosing to serve yourself by running your life on a self-directed path where you go wherever you think you need to go whenever you think you need to go there. And if we're honest with ourselves, this is what our sinful hearts really, really want. We really, really want it to be true that we really know what's good for us, so we should be able to go after it with our whole hearts. We always think we know what's best for us, but the reality is only God, only God, the true God, knows what we need. And while we think we know what will make us happy and fulfilled, it's, if, it's, if we think it's anything other than God, it's an idol, and it's never going to fulfill uh, our purposes. To take an example of how a lot of us, okay, one of the idols that we serve, one of the, one of the gods we tend to get uh, locked up in is money. A lot of times we think, if I had more money, uh, everything would be awesome. I want to read you something. It's an excerpt from a book uh, by a woman named Tina. It's a book called My Father's Daughter. Tina's dad was a singer, and uh, she wrote this. His health was in tatters and his life mired in financial wrangles, but my father refused to stop giving concerts. I've just got to earn more money, he said. His performances, sad to say, were becoming more and more uneven. Uncertain of his memory, he became dependent on teleprompters. When I saw him at Desert Inn, Las Vegas, he struggled through the show and felt so sick at the end that he needed oxygen from a tank that he kept on hand. At another show, he forgot the lyrics to Second Time Around, a ballad he had sung a thousand times. His adoring audience finished it for him. I couldn't bear to see Dad struggle. I remembered all the times he'd repeated the old boxing maxim, you got to get out before you hit the mat. He wanted to retire at the top of his game, and I always thought he would know when his time came. But pushing 80, he lost track of when to quit. After seeing one too many of these fiascos, I told him, Pop, you can stop now. You don't have to stay on the road. 
And with a stricken expression, he said, no, I've got to earn more money. I have to make sure everyone is taken care of. I don't know if you recognize that song title, but I'm talking about Tina Sinatra, Frank Sinatra's daughter. She concludes that chapter by saying, since his death, we have been in constant wrangles over his fortune. So how sad is it to know that what Sinatra thought would take care of everyone and basically killed himself trying to amass enough of has actually caused his family more pain and struggle than anything else. These things that we think will fulfill us and satisfy us that aren't God, they will not satisfy us because they, they can't deliver what they promise. And God doesn't want us wasting our lives chasing after these things. When you do not choose to serve God, what you're doing is choosing to serve something that will never be able to bring what you really want or what you really need. In order to serve the Lord faithfully, our self-direction has to go. We need to look to God. We need to let God's word guide us and tell us what we need and where we need to go. And to stick with the money theme, here's how Joshua sets it up, how absurd it is, okay? He's saying you can choose God or you can choose these false gods. And it's, if we're sticking with the money theme, it would be uh, kind of like I said this to you. Either choose God or go to the bank and ask them to let you into the vault so you can bow down and pray to its contents. How absurd would that be? But that's what we're talking about here. If we're not choosing God, we are by default choosing to serve something that is not God. And Joshua told the Israelites, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Because he knew that if they thought about it, if they really thought about it, by God's grace, they would realize that, no, they want to choose to serve the true and living God. And so what I want to challenge you this morning to do is to do that, to throw the I want you to think about the things in your life that you're serving, that the things that you're chasing after to find happiness and joy and fulfillment and realize that if they're not God, you're wasting your time. Throw out your desire to self-direct your life and look to God and his word. Well, we've seen that in order to serve God faithfully, uh, we need to throw out our self-direction. And the next point is that we actually also, in order to serve God faithfully, our self-confidence has to go too. Okay, in verse 15, Joshua says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And then in verses 16 through 18, the Israelites basically explain that because all that God has done for them, they too will serve the Lord. And then Joshua says something kind of strange. After he calls them to serve the Lord and they say, we will serve the Lord, he says, you are not able to serve the Lord. It kind of makes you wonder what the Israelites were thinking at this time. Because Joshua says, serve the Lord. And the Israelites say, we will. And he says, you can't. (laughs) Kind of confusing, except for the fact that theologians like Ralph Davis and Donald Madvig and others suggest that what Joshua is doing here is very similar to what Jesus did in Luke 14. When he told people that they need to count the cost before making a commitment to following him. He wanted to shock them in order to make sure that they weren't simply caught up in the moment. And I'm sure many of us have been around somebody who have made a decision 
to follow Christ only to go home and then live their lives exactly the same way as they did before, self-directed, not God-glorifying. We get so excited when someone says, I'm going to follow Jesus, that we forget to ask them, have you counted the cost? Have you thought about what God wants from you in response to his free gift of salvation? And I went to Ghana, uh, back to Ghana. I went to Ghana in order to help facilitate a church planting conference for West African pastors and church leaders. And we got there. Our team arrived a couple days before the conference to get things set up. And none of the conferees were supposed to be there for another couple days. But a day after we got there, four pastors from Niger showed up early. And this kind of created a little problem for us because we didn't have anywhere to put them. We weren't expecting them, and we didn't have hotel rooms for them. Um, So while we were trying to figure out where we can put them for the night, we were talking to them. We found out why they came early. They came early because they came from such a remote place in Niger that the bus only comes every other day. And so they had to either be a day early or a day late. But not only that, as we continued to talk, we found out that not only did they have to catch this bus that came every other day, but to do it, they had to walk from their village miles and miles through the night, running some of the time, in order to catch this bus at 4 a.m. Not only that, this bus was going to be driving on roads in Africa. If you've ever driven on roads in Africa, you know that they either have potholes the size of villages or they're, uh, they're not even paved. Okay, And not only that, there was no air conditioning on this bus. And not only that, this was going to be a 30-hour trip that they signed up for. There's a couple more not only that's, but for the sake of time, we'll just move on. So think about that. 30 hours, no air conditioning, packed bus, horrible roads, all to attend a church conference. And, you know... When they signed up for the conference, one of the things they had to consider was, how are we going to get there? And this, is, this was their option. This was their option to come to a church planning conference, and they chose it. But how? the question was, how could they do that? How, would, you know, how could they really sign up for something like that, to go through all that just to get a church planning conference? And the reality is that these men had made a choice to serve the Lord. And when God put it on their hearts to make the journey, even though it was going to be a crazy long journey, They didn't hesitate because they didn't trust in themselves. Their confidence was not in themselves. Their confidence was in God and God's grace alone. And we know this because while we were standing there thinking, how did they do that? How could they come all this way? And I'm thinking, how are they going to get home? One of them says, we are here by the grace of God. And it was just absolutely clear that they trusted God, not themselves. See, God doesn't want our Sundays. He doesn't want uh, just our free time. God wants everything. God wants so much from us that we can't even do the slightest portion of it without his grace, without him granting us grace to obey and persevere. The reason Joshua told the Israelites they were unable to serve the Lord was because nobody can serve the Lord faithfully except by the grace of God. Our faithfulness towards him is a gift that he gives as part of his faithfulness to us. We would never choose him unless he had first chosen us. If you're not a Christian, or if you think, you know, I could never be a Christian, I could never do what the Bible says, that stuff is too hard, that stuff is not me, you're trusting in yourself. Your confidence is in yourself. And God wants it to be crystal clear that because of the way we are, because of the fall, because of our sinful nature, we can't serve him 
unless we trust in him, unless we trust in his grace to obey. And what's amazing about that is when, when we really realize that our obedience to God is by his grace and we're trusting in, we have God confidence, not self-confidence, then when we are successful and when we do uh, overcome sin and when we do change and transform into more Christ-like people, we give all the credit to God because we know that he's the one who made the transformation because we realize that we are dependent, totally dependent on God's grace. All right, well, we've seen that in order to serve God faithfully, our self-direction has to go and our self-confidence has to go. Finally, let's briefly look at how in order to serve the Lord faithfully, our self-reliance has to go. And what I mean by that is we need to take advantage of the community of believers that God has given us. See, in verse 22, Joshua says, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Then in verse 26 and 27, Joshua sets a large stone underneath an oak near the holy place of the Lord. And he says, see, this stone will be a witness against you. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. And I think that we need to make the connection and see that the people and the stone are, are having the same effect here. Um, here's my point. Or the, the, the people like the stone were witnesses against each other in case they were untrue to their God. The point is this. We can't do this alone. God has so graciously given us Christ who gives us power through his spirit and he's also given us each other. He's given us uh, each other, the church community, to encourage one another, to support one another, to be there for one another. But here's the other thing. It's also that we are a witness to each other that we have made a commitment to serve the Lord. And that's a really hard pill to swallow because we hate when someone comes up to us and says, you're being untrue to God. Because we want to say, no, you're just being judgmental. You're just a legalist. But the reality is, that's what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to be witnesses to each other so that when one of us or some of us are untrue to God, we can go and say, you made a commitment to God based on what he had already done for you. One of the Bible stories that comes to mind, um, when we think about this, is, is when Nathan confronted David about what he had done and how he had been untrue to God. I'm sure you remember this story. You have David who had slept with Bathsheba, who was the wife of Uriah. And so, uh, obviously disobedient. And and, uh, Nathan was sent to David by God to tell him this story. And so he tells David a story about how there was a rich man who and a poor man. And the poor man had one little ewe lamb that he loved so much. And the rich man one time when a traveler came through, went and took that little ewe lamb and served it to the traveler for dinner. And David was outraged and he says, as surely as the Lord lives, that man deserves to die. And then Nathan drops the bomb. He revealed that the story was really a parable about David, the rich man, who had taken Bathsheba, the ewe lamb, from the poor man, Uriah. He says, uh, David, you are the man. And David realized that he had been untrue to his God and to his people. And he repented and he was brought back on track. God used Nathan to remind David that he had made a commitment to serve the Lord and he wasn't honoring it. And we need that. We need that. And we get that here in the church community. We need to hear from our brothers and sisters in Christ when we're being untrue to our God. So don't try to do this alone. You need believers around you who will remind you not only of God's love for you, but of the commitment you made to serve the Lord. 
So today I want to challenge you to make sure you are surrounding yourself with believers who are strong enough to say to you that you're being untrue to your God when you are. And a great way to do that is a life group. If you're not in a life group, I really highly encourage that. If you're not involved in, the, in, the, in one of the ministries here, you could do that. If you are an attender here but you haven't become a member yet, do it. Take advantage of this community. That's what God wants us to do. Surround yourself with believers who can not only remind you of God, what God has done for you, but what you have committed, uh, how you have committed to serve the Lord according to his amazing grace. And while God uses believers um, to remind us of the commitment we've made to serve the Lord, he also uses them to remind us of his faithfulness. And I just want to close by telling you, we had a lock-in on Friday night um, and we had, it was great, we had like, I think almost 45 kids there, and we were out in the field at one point, and uh, had a bonfire, and were singing praises, and then I spoke just a little bit about the gospel, and then I said, if anybody would like to talk about what God has been doing in your life lately, here's your chance. And I'm thinking, one or two kids say something, but student after student after student kept saying, this is what, how God has changed me. This is what God has done for me. This is how God has ripped the chains off of me and allowed me to choose to serve him. And one student who doesn't go to this church, he goes to another church. And I'm sure he'd be okay with me telling this because he loved to tell us. He had got to a point in his life where he was so seeking happiness in things that would never bring it that he was ready to take his own life. And in the moment that he was attempting suicide, God grabbed a hold of him. Praise God, he grabbed a hold of him and he opened his eyes and he made him realize that you've been serving things that will not satisfy, that will not give you what you need. And he gave this student the grace to choose to serve the Lord. And this kid's life has totally changed. And he loves to tell the story of the way God saved him. See, the key is at the beginning of the chapter 24, we see that Abraham was serving these other gods until God went, and got him. God comes and gets us and enables us to choose him. That's why we need to choose to serve the Lord. We need to come to Christ and believe in him so that we can have forgiveness of sin, so that we can have power over sin and eventually freedom from the very presence of sin. If you haven't done that, I want you to do that today. If you haven't turned your life over to Jesus, I hope that you'll think about the fact that as long as you try to give your life direction You'll never get where you want to go. I hope you realize that serving God is not about trusting in your own abilities. It's not about trusting in yourself. It's about having confidence in God. And I hope you know that right here at UPC, you have a loving family waiting to embrace you and help you on your journey of faith. And I hope as a body of believers, we can really encourage each other to remember what God has done, but also to remember the commitments that we have made to serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose God and you'll never be the same. Amen.